Hello, and welcome to the Empowerography Podcast. This is a platform created for women's voices to be heard and a place to share their stories, journeys, and successes with the world for the purpose of helping other women who might be on similar journeys. We are empowering women one episode at a time. I'm your host, Brad Walsh, so kick back, grab one of your favorite beverages, and enjoy the stories. If you're looking for jewelry that makes an impact on your self-care routine and your style, Empowerography would love to offer you a discount code to one of our exclusive partners, Quartz and Canary Jewelry and Wellness Company. Please use code EMPOWER15 to receive 15% off upon checkout at www.quartzandcanary.com. Quartz and Canary is truly the place where spirituality meets style. Hello there, Brad Walsh here, your host of the Empowerography podcast. Today, my guest is Lisa Marie Haycock. She is the owner and founder of Holistic Life Coaching with Lisa Marie. She is also a speaker and an author. Lisa, welcome. Thank you so much for taking the time to be here. Thanks for having me. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thank you. Excellent. Well, I'm really excited about jumping in and learning about all the things Lisa Marie. So let's jump right in. So as mentioned, you're the owner and founder of Holistic Life Coaching with Lisa Marie. You are a certified and accredited life coach and a certified grief educator specializing in personal development and grief coaching. As I mentioned, you're also an author and a speaker. So Lisa, which came first, the life coaching or the grief educating and coaching? Do you know, the life coaching came first. I became certified and accredited in life coaching. And then with life coaching, you should niche or they tell you to kind of niche in areas that you feel passionate about. Right. So the grief coaching and grief educator certification came later. Okay. So how long ago then did you start the holistic life coaching with Lisa Marie and what was the inspiration behind getting into coaching and starting the business? Do you know, it was about two years ago. I myself had had a life coach and I swear, no lie. One day I was just typing away, doing my work. And it was like, Lisa, you need to be a life coach. And I thought, Oh, what? We're <laughs> okay. <laughs> I mean, I had worked with a life coach and loved what she did. And my passion really is helping people. So I went down that road to just try to do a bit of investigation, a bit of research and what that all entails and how for me, it was really important to become certified and accredited as well. So what were you doing then for a living before you made the jump into the coaching world and the world of entrepreneurship? Well, do you know, I've always been in the corporate world. Uh, so I was a practice manager at a law firm here in the UK for many years. And then I was a team assistant for a bunch of engineers. That was my last corporate job before I jumped ship and became an entrepreneur. <laughs> what was the catalyst behind you jumping ship from corporate into entrepreneurship? Was there something in particular that, that made you say, okay, I've had enough of this corporate bullshit. It's time to branch out on my own. Yeah. I mean, you know, I loved the people that I worked with. Don't get me wrong, but I wasn't passionate about the work. Right. And I've always loved the idea of the freedom of being able to go and do what I want to do when I want to do it, set my own schedule. And I loved that idea, but it was always quite scary, you know, going out on your own, thinking you have to do everything on your own, which oh, is not yeah. true, mm -hmm. but it was what I thought, all the responsibilities on my shoulder. So it kind of has always kept me back. And I thought, you know what? Life is short. I need to do what I want to do and live the life that I want to live. And I need to create that. So I need to take action and do it. And so that's what I did. I love it. It, it does. It's, it's very scary making that jump from, we'll call it the security blanket of a steady paycheck and benefits and all of the things that come along with it. The handcuffs, the golden handcuffs, as they call it, I guess. Yes. But, you know, it, it's such a different world getting into entrepreneurship and, you know, the freedom and all of the amazing things that come along with it, I think far outweigh the pros of the golden handcuffs. 
<laughs> Absolutely. And it's just, you know, there's so many of us that we get up in the morning, we hate our Monday morning, yeah. can't wait for the next vacation to come along. And we're just wishing our life away. And while, you know, we may really enjoy, hopefully enjoy what we do, but we yeah. enjoy the people we work with. But the work itself for me felt like, well, this is just meaningless. At least it felt like it to me. I'm sure yeah. my bosses and the people who own the businesses, it's yeah. not. <laughs> but for me, it was simply a paycheck. Yeah. Well, never mind living for the next vacation. How about living for the weekend, those two days yeah. and pissing and wishing away that five days in between? Absolutely. Like that's, that's no way to live. No, no. And it's like, is it Friday yet? And yeah. Here, you know, I live in the UK now. I know, obviously, I'm not from here, but I live in the UK and we get a good 20 to 30 days vacation right. a year. And even then you go, well, that's not enough. I mean, <laughs> you know, you get out of from being in America where you have basically no holidays. So, yeah. So I want to speak with you a little bit specifically about the whole grief educating. And I love that you chose to use the word educating, by the way. So first of all, why did you decide to use that word educator in your marketing? Secondly, why did you decide to focus your energy and business on helping people, women who are going through or dealing with grief in their lives? And thirdly, did this journey into this world begin with some of your own personal struggles? Yeah, you know, well, the I wish I could take credit for the grief educator word. But when I became a certified grief educator with David Kessler, who is a world-renowned grief expert, he uses that word and that's the program that I went with. And I thought it was perfect because you're educating others on grief. And yeah. we don't do grief well in the Western culture. We just don't. And so I loved the idea of actually just being an educator mm -hmm. for myself and for others whether it be clients and or people on the outside looking in. So I decided, now listen, this was tough because as a personal development coach, I found that to be easy. I thought that, yep, that's where I am. That's what I do now. Oh, the grief educating, the grief coaching. Do I really want to go down that? And I kind <laughs> of fought it, you know? Yeah. Do I, do I want to step out into this realm? Is it too much? Am I healed enough from my own past hurts and loss in order to be that catalyst, that person who can witness someone else's grief and hold that space for them without bringing in my own grief? Yeah, I'm sure and that could get quite heavy, right? Yeah. And so it's a real skill to be able to understand that you don't have to carry someone's grief, that that is theirs to carry and that you create that safe space for them. So it wasn't really like, oh yeah, I really want to do that. It was more, I have to do this. Okay. It was a calling. It was one of those soul calls for me. And it had everything to do with my personal losses and my struggles. Would you mind sharing a little bit about some of your personal journey and struggles? Yeah, absolutely. So I grew up in a home where my mom and dad, it was the home where the doors were unlocked. Every child and adult came in. It was a small house, but a full house. And my parents were really surrogate parents to many kids. You know, they were the coaches of all the sports. They were the safe place for so many adults and children. And, you know, I lost my grandma and my aunt when I was young, but I was really young. I didn't quite understand what it meant to lose someone so close to you through death. And I had a real season of death. In 2018, in January, my niece from my ex-husband's side of the family passed away from a long illness. And a week later, I got that call from my mom from Seattle that my dad had an inoperable brain tumor, oh, brain cancer. Man. And so I quit my job 
and I lived with my parents for about seven months and cared for my dad and my mom. You know, they'd been married for years, for 50 plus years. So I was caring for my mom as well as my dad until my dad passed away. And I never knew loss until my dad passed away. When I got the call, it was like the earth opened up and swallowed me whole. Yeah. And, you know, he was a teamster. He was a strong man. He was the provider and the protector. And now he's sick. What? Yeah. It you doesn't know? make sense. Yeah. It's it hard to comprehend and wrap your head around it. It doesn't. And, you know, you go, well, that's what's supposed to happen. We're supposed to bury our parents. But that's the logic part of it. But the soul crushing loss of losing my dad. And that was hard. Yeah. To wrap my head around. And I then had to leave my mom and come back to the UK and find another job and try to get on with life. And I did find a job and cried every time I got in the car to come home. It was my safe haven, my release. And 14 months later, my mom came to visit and we traveled around without my dad, first time without my dad. And we traveled the UK and we did all these great things. And when I was in Manchester airport, dropping off my mom, watching her walk away alone. We were crying. I was trying to keep it together, Brad. I was. That's heartbreaking. It was so Because you feel so bad for your mom, right? Yeah. Yeah. And she has wonderful support in Seattle. She's got my brother and my nieces and nephew, and she's surrounded by love. But my dad was gone. Yeah. And we were close and she loves my girls and... It was heart-wrenching, but I didn't know that that would be the last time I hugged my mom. Oh my gosh. Mm. So we talked every day and 14 months later, she wasn't answering her messages on Facebook. I was calling, she wasn't answering and I was calling everyone. When was the last time you seen my mom? When was the last time you seen my mom? When's the last time you seen mom calling my brother? Everybody get over there. And my mom had passed away in her sleep, uh, peacefully in her sleep, but that I just dropped to the floor, you know, I need, I can't even imagine. Yeah. And we were supposed to go on a cruise. We were so excited. Me and my mom, just the two of us. And instead those plane tickets to Seattle to go on a cruise, I was burying my mom. I'm so sorry, Lisa. That's horrible. Yeah, it was hideous and it was sudden and it was shocking. It, the the suddenness, you know, when my dad was dying, it was this anticipatory grief. You know, you're saying your goodbyes for a long time and it's hard watching him. We were grateful that he just didn't suffer a lot, but it was anticipatory. I knew it was coming. My mom, what? And you know, people say things and they are just trying their best to help. But, and I gave a lot of grace to individuals who say things that perhaps weren't useful for me. Um, well, you and, know, sorry, but yeah. I, sorry to interrupt Lisa, but yeah, that was one thing I found. Cause as you know, I lost my dad last <laughs> October and So it'll be a year this month, but people don't know what to say. So many people have no idea what to say. And sometimes I wonder, is it better to just not say anything at all? Or is it better to come out and admit to say, hey, listen, Lisa, you know, I really don't know what to say here, but I just want you to know I'm here. I think that's probably the best thing to do so that people don't stick their foot in their mouths and say things that piss you off or upset you or frustrate you. I mean, as you said at the beginning, off the top, grief is a very hard thing to deal with. It's a very tricky animal, you know? Yes, And you're right. That is the exact thing that we need to learn to say. I have no idea what to say, but I'm here for you. You know, just sit with someone, witness their grief. Mm -hmm. And sometimes it's like, here, have some food, you know, here's some chocolate. Like, I don't, (laughs) I have no idea, but eat, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, You know, you know what I found funny was, 
people I found that with my, in my case, anyways, I don't know if this happened with you or with, if it happens with others, I'm sure it does, but people will say, you know, whatever you need, just let me know. All you have to do is reach out and ask and, you know, but when it comes time, everyone fell off the face of the planet. Like no one called to check to see how, at least with me, no one called to check, see how I'm doing. Like none of my close friends bothered. None of them called me to say a month later, two months later, Hey Brad, just want to check in see how you're doing. I know you've been through a lot lately. Not one of them. Oh, I'm so sorry because that's the part that's difficult after it's all difficult, but after the funeral, the time is settled after the suddenness, after when it starts to kind of sit and settle and feel really gross and really painful is when we need somebody, anybody around. Yeah. Even just to check in. And I think the thing is, is that People don't know what to do or say. People uh-huh. are afraid to say something stupid or painful yeah. or hurtful. And sometimes people are really clueless and they just go on their busy life and you're in the, you know, you're in the background. It the isn't depths always of that the case. Yeah, but it is it is one of those things. And I feel like that is one of the grief educator parts that I yeah. want to share with people is the what to do's and the what not to do's. Now, listen, two months after I buried my mom in the middle of the night, I've got a, the most hideous phone call that I'd ever received. Yeah. Two months after I got a phone call that said my youngest daughter, Alexa was okay, but that her fiance. So my son-in-law basically uh-huh. my son-in-law yeah. had died in an accident in a fall oh my in front of her oh. and to get in the car and drive two and a half hours to my daughter. I, I was like, wake up, Lisa tapping my head, wake up. Yeah. This, this isn't Jack. No, no. Jack has been in our lives since they were 16 years old. He was, oh my he was my son. He was my only son. And yeah. he, what? So when I say compound grief and complex grief, I had 12 loved ones in 22 months. Jesus. Hideous. That is horrible. Yeah. 12 in 22 months? Yes. Mm -hmm. So when I say a season of loss, I mean an actual season of loss. And I don't say that, honestly, Brad, as to be a victim. No. But to say, I get it. Yeah. Yeah. I've been there. I'm still there. And one thing that I always want to make sure that we don't say is time heals all wounds. (laughs) (laughs) Does it? Oh, It's bullshit. Can we create a life of passion and purpose around the pain? Can we learn to take that pain with us and still live? So fully live and fully grieve? Yes, we can. You know what I found funny too is, and I thought I I thought about doing this just as a test, just to see, is all of these people who said to me, you know, just let me know if there's anything I can do. Absolutely anything. If you need food, if you need this, if you need, I honestly, part of me thought of reaching out to some of these people and saying, hey, by the way, remember what you said? Can I take you up on that offer? Just to see, just as a test to see if they really meant it. Because sometimes, as we just said, I think people just say things because they don't know what to say. And I think that part of that saying things just to say something is that because they don't know what else to say. Yes. And listen, to be honest, when you're in that immense grief and loss is do you know what you want? Is there anything you need? Just let me know. I don't know what I need. Like I literally don't even know. All I know how to do right now is breathe in and out. Yeah, for sure. And one thing too, I find in the losses is that we categorize them, right? Which is worse. Well, do you know what? Your grief is the absolute worst because it is yours. So we can also minimize losing parents. Well, that's what we're supposed to do is bury our parents. Like I said earlier, we minimize the DNA connection, the person and people who have raised us, 
if we're fortunate enough, have a wonderful relationship with. And losing your parent or parents can be extremely devastating. Absolutely. So no matter what age they are, no matter yeah. what age we are. Yeah. See, because that's another thing. That's another myth or whatever you want to call it. Well, you know, people will say, well, you you had 70 some odd years with that person or 50 years or 60 years or whatever the case may be. You had all those years with someone. So, but it doesn't matter. You're right. It does not matter what age they are when they pass. No. There's still a huge hole in your heart that yes. will never fully heal. Yes. There may be scar tissue there because it's kind of grown over, but it's still that, that wound never fully heals. No, no, it, it doesn't because they're not here physically with them. Yeah. Yep. And so there's a seat at the table, you know, when something, I said it, the, my mom's memorial service, when good things happen, I call my mom. Yeah. When bad things happen, I would call my mom. Yeah. And this really shitty thing happened that was so bad and the thing that happened was I lost my mom. Yeah. So I couldn't even call my mom to tell her this really bad thing that happened. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, so it doesn't matter the age. It doesn't matter. I mean, I'm grateful that I had 48 years with my mom and 47 with my dad. But I still miss them every day. Of course, day. of course. Yeah. So going through your own experiences and dealing with your own grief, who did you have to turn to, to talk to, to lean on during your time of need? You, you said that you would usually call your mom when something bad happened. So who did you have to turn to? Yeah, it's a really good question. I am so incredibly fortunate that I have a best friend that I have known Krista since I was seven years old and I'm 52. So it's quite, <laughs> quite a few years. And she was my support person, even though she's in Seattle, she was there. So she was actually there when I was there and she was there when I was in the UK. She is my person. She's my tribe. I had other friends who were amazing support. So, and anybody, to be honest, anybody that was toxic, anybody that caused drama, I kicked the curb very easily. I mean, yeah. you know, I had no problem with it and I still don't. It's one of my superpowers, but I also knew about a year after my dad and right after my mom died, I'm like, right. If I'm going to survive this emotionally and mentally and physically, I need some help. I need some professional help. So I actually found a wonderful bereavement counselor here in the UK. And I saw her for probably a year because, of course, in that time, we lost Jack, my yeah. son and we lost tons of other people. And then... I decided, right, this is my reality. I can't change it. How do I continue moving forward? How do I set these goals? How do I live? And I'm very action oriented. So I hired a life coach mm -hmm. and that's how it started for me. I grabbed, honestly, everything I could. I met with a wonderful medium. I have done, you know, massage therapy, Reiki. <laughs> I mean, I grabbed everything, every yeah. book, every audio book, every motivational speaker. And that's my personality is when the shit hits the fan, what do I need? And I just start <laughs> grabbing everything. <laughs> I love it. But for me, that's what helped. So how have these experiences helped shape the Lisa you are today, both personally and professionally? Do you think? Well, professionally, of course, I dropped the corporate world and started moving into this area because I knew that my own personal experiences, I had something to offer and I understood at a deep level, personal development and grief coaching. And personally, you know, listen, it's about finding meaning in your life, isn't it? So when I think about that, I would always choose to have the loved ones back for the, instead of this experience and this marriage, right? So it's not like, oh, I'm so glad all that happened because now I am who I am today. 
No, I'd change it in a heartbeat, but again, not reality. So I had to find meaning and what it has done for me is given me a level of empathy that, you know, I always thought I was empathetic and compassionate, but I think honestly, it's just taken me to a whole new level. What then would you say has been your biggest or most valuable lesson or takeaway from these experiences? I would say that for me, having your tribe and having your people around you is something that I learned was the, it was so incredibly valuable, but I've also learned that grief is a very lonely road and people can't, even though you have all these things set in place, no one can go there with you. No one can go to that level with you. So it's almost like they're the gatekeeper, you know, that you're going into this cocoon. And I wrote an article about this with my girls. It's like going into a cocoon and staying there and healing. And Glennon Doyle from Untamed, she's just an amazing, that's an amazing book. And she talks about that. And you have a gatekeeper at the, at the door, allowing you to go into that really hard, difficult place and coming out and emerging in that butterfly. And I thought nobody can go there with me. No one can. So I have to do it. I have to do it. And the other thing, honestly, when I was in therapy, I was always that type of person that's like, I'm going to go in through it and I'm going to let just wash all over me and I'm going to go deep diving into it. And my therapist said, (laughs) it's okay to recover too. It's okay to not have it always washing all over you and digging deep and trying to, you know, work out everything. Sometimes it's okay to put, you know, your hoodie over your head and eat popcorn and watch Netflix. And And I learned that was important. (laughs) For sure. Absolutely. So I want to speak a bit about your work again, back to grief educating and coaching. What differentiates you or separates you from the other grief educators or coaches? And what is it that sets you apart from the others? Well, do you know, I think when you're looking for a coach, or a grief educator, it is about connection. So there's a lot out there and it's important for individuals to connect, have a real connection with the person that they're working with. And so I'm quite open and honest and authentic and I'm not for everyone and everyone's not for me. So having that quick chat to find out if there is a connection, I think is really important. But one of the things that I think I have that some people, unfortunately, well, fortunately don't have is the amount of loss. I mean, I also went through a divorce and so in that time, so do you know, loss and grief is not just the loss of a loved one through death, right? There are many forms of loss. I would say that loss and grief is any kind of loss that causes you pain. So loss of a job, loss of your identity, loss of your faith, loss of your community, loss of friends, loss of a job, loss loss of a job. And I listen, Brad, I've lost all of that. Yeah. (laughs) I feel like what sets me apart, I've lost a lot. Yeah. But in a way, all of those things that I quote unquote lost, a lot of them were my decision. They were my decisions. Yeah. And they were the best decisions that I've ever made. So what, in in your opinion, what would you say is the most important quality or skill set in a grief coach? Listening. Listening. Witnessing someone's grief. You listen. You're not there to fix anyone. I cannot fix anyone because guess what? They're not broken. You're not broken. You're grieving. That's what you are. I love it. What is your greatest strength as a coach, would you say? I would say that listening. listening, I am good at listening, but do you know what? I tap into my intuition. I think it's really important so I can sense things that are deeper than what is coming out in their language. And so I use that. So I tap into that kind of spirituality, that part where I can go beyond what they're saying and get to the essence 
of how they're feeling. What would you say then? I mean, this, this is such because the work is so sensitive and, you know, what lights you up or inspires you the most? If, if you can even feel inspired in doing, I guess, well, you must, because you wouldn't be doing it if you didn't, but what inspires you the most about this work that you do? Do you know, when you see somebody take steps towards healing, there's nothing like it. So even in the individuals who are in deep, deep pain, there's still deep, deep joy. And so again, it's that living in fully grieving and fully living. And when the connection starts to happen, that the dots start to connect yeah. and we start to heal a little bit more and a little bit more and a little bit more, there is something so powerful watching them almost physically watching our clients women and men physically change so on the flip side of that lisa what would you say is the most challenging part of the work that you do remembering i'm not responsible for their pain and their grief and grounding myself i used to do grief work in the states years and years ago and i learned it's a skill where you ground yourself and you don't take on the pain of others you know, that you don't carry that with you into your life. And so remembering to do that is a constant, (laughs) I have to remind myself. Yeah, that would be hard to do because you're, I mean, you're in that all day listening to clients' stories of loss. It Mm -hmm. would be very hard to not take that on as your own or bring some of that home with you. And I guess that that also, I would say, is probably one of the key elements or key qualities or skill sets in a grief coach as well is to be able to silo that. Yeah, it is hard. It is hard. Listen, I know we don't categorize, but when someone has lost a child, it as a mom, you know, it is so difficult to not carry that pain. Yeah. It is so hard. I mean, it is so difficult. And yet when I get off those calls, again, it, there's grounding exercises. There's things that you can do and going for walks and breathing in nature and, and leaving them to do the work whilst you also carry them. And it is such a different balance. It's such a hard balance, but so so important. For sure. So you had mentioned just a few questions ago there in our conversation that you are not for everybody and everybody is not for you. So what type of person or client is your ideal client? Like what things do you look for in a potential client before deciding to work with them? Yeah, well, and the personal development and or grief coaching, mm-hmm. it's the it's the same, really. Again, it's about spending some time on a call with them and finding out, one, is it an area that I feel that I can help them in? And two, is there that connection personality-wise? Is this person really wanting, now on personal development, let's say, they really wanting change, you know, are they really going to work hard? Cause I'm an action oriented coach. So (laughs) let's put feet on this. We could talk all day long, but if you're not going to take any steps for change, then you're wasting your time and money and my time. So let's work together and get down to it and work hard. So those are the clients I'm looking for and I connect with. They're willing to do the hard work. And in the grief, it's the same. Uh It's those individuals who are ready. Listen, when you have a loss right away, a lot of times we're just trying to survive. We're not looking for a therapist or a coach or, you know, we're just trying to breathe. So sometimes I find clients six months, maybe to a year to 20 years, I have a client, it's 20 years that is starting to link some of these things. Oh my God, this is why I'm, ah, this is why I've never fully grieved the loss of my dad or my mom or my, you know, partner. And so those individuals 
are ready. And those are the clients that I'm looking for. I'm not, I'm, I'm not going to push healing on somebody who's just quite frankly, not ready to go down that road yet. Yeah. You have to be ready for it for sure. Absolutely. What is the one piece of advice you have for someone who is just starting the grieving process and not in not being coached or not ready to be coached yet? As we just said, you have to be ready for it. So what is one piece of advice you would give to those people? Surround yourself with healthy individuals. And I would say, emphasize healthy. Yeah. (laughs) Healthy friends, family. Lisa, what do you think your unique skill set or superpower is that's helped you become successful? So I'm very driven. My best friend says if someone gives me some, I'm pretty competitive, but also competitive to myself. So if someone says like, oh, you'll be able to get that done in like a year, I'll be like, I can do it in three months, <laughs> you know? So it's like, name that tune. Yeah. You know? So it's like, if someone says, oh yeah, in 30 days, you're like, nah, I can do it in two. <laughs> it's not always true but somehow i think healthy healthy competition with ourselves i i honestly (laughs) think that that is part of dealing with that whole competition mindset around others is and this is something that i learned i'd say about a year and a half or two years into my journey of entrepreneurship is that's because i was stuck in that competition mindset but it Mm -hmm. was around other people and why are they at this point and i'm only at this point and once i was able to ascertain that, realize that, and then switch my mindset to the only person I'm in competition with is me. That's it. As long as I'm improving, who gives a shit about everyone else? Exactly. And the other part of that is I always say collaboration, not competition. Yes. 100%. Yep. So yeah, absolutely. And I used to be involved in many team sports and playing sports when I was younger. So I was in a team competition. I was part of a team and I was very competitive, but as I've gotten older, it's absolutely just self. It's about me. And that's why personal development coaching was an easy niche for me. I knew it. I've done it. I'm still doing it and I can help (laughs) others develop. There you go. Lisa, can you share a situation that has occurred in your life that you feel provides insight as to your character, who Lisa is? Wow, that is a really good question. To be honest, I would say this season of loss really magnified resilience. I didn't realize, you know, I'm a Leo, I'm strong in that. And then when all of this started happening, the resilience being knocked down and getting back up again. I really think that these situations, these losses have provided the inside of character of resilience that I didn't know I had. Well, going through what you've been through and all that loss, absolutely. I would agree with that 100%. That's a lot of loss to go through. So I mean, it, it, we are constant works in progress. We are always evolving. So the journey, that, and that's what it is, right? We don't arrive at any destination. It's the journey through all of that and how that builds us up as people and as characters. Yes, absolutely. It's something that continually learning. What would you say is one of the most important things you've learned in your life? And what was your life like before learning it? And what was your life like after you learned it? Wow. So for me... One of the things that the thing I've learned, especially in these losses, is that I'm goddamn strong, right? Yeah. Um, what was my life before? Strong, but like I never took care of myself. You know, my mom would always bang on about that. Lisa, you <laughs> take care of yourself, la, 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 you know? Yeah. She was so wise, but I was like, yeah, mom, okay. Sure. Yeah. Then- yeah. Whatever you say, mom. <laughs> Love you. Whatever. <laughs> you know how we do it with our yeah. girls do the same thing. Yeah, yeah, whatever, mom. Yeah. Um, and then she passes away. And I'm like, oh, oh, yeah. that's what she's talking about. Yeah. And so that is one thing that I absolutely am learning is what true self-care and taking care of yourself first and foremost before anything else. 
Absolutely. Lisa, speaking of taking care of yourself, what does the best version of you look like when you close your eyes and imagine it? Ah, do you know, when I close my eyes and imagine it, I'm in Thailand on an island somewhere. (laughs) Let me just be totally honest with you, working from there with the sea behind me. But someone who is healthy physically, emotionally, spiritually, that holistically, which is why I named my business, is that holistically, when I look at my life, I'm in balance. And when one thing is out of balance that I go and I do a deep dive to get back into balance, that for me is what I see. What is an unexpected blessing or occurrence in your life that you're grateful for? Ooh, so I told you I got divorced Mm -hmm. and then several years later, I met somebody unexpectedly and he is honestly the most I mean, you don't, and this is why I always told my girls, you don't need a man to fill (laughs) your life, you know? So I've raised two really independent women. Yeah. Um, But which I think is important, though. I think, (laughs) I think you're right. I think you're right in saying that we don't need somebody. That's something we choose to have in our lives. Absolutely. And, and so he compliments my life. I don't need somebody yeah. to fill every you know thing in my life you complete me lisa <laughs> yes exactly jerry Maguire. Yeah. here we come yes yes now just do the sign language for, um, <laughs> yeah it's like this compliment and it's like yeah. wow partnering together in life so honestly i was not looking for a relationship and he just dropped into my life there you go Hey, we're going to jump into a little rapid fire section here. So oh, next no. grouping of questions, just be one, two, three, four word answer type thing. Okay. Okay. If you had a theme song that played every time you walked into a room, what song would it be? Ooh, Rise Up by Andre Day. What is your favorite stress reducing activity? Kayaking. How would you describe yourself in one word? Resilient. What was your dream job as a child? <laughs> I wanted to be an astronaut. If you could teach the world one thing, what would it be? Kindness. What's one thing you want but cannot buy with money? Mm, Knowledge. If you could live anywhere in the world, where would it be? Right where I'm at. Beautiful. That ends our rapid fire section. Now back to our regularly scheduled program. (laughs) Who in your life, Lisa, has had the biggest impact on you and why? Do you know, I would say my mom and dad. And the reason why is one, my mom was the most encouraging. They call her Mary Poppins, honestly. <laughs> really? It's not even a lie. <laughs> my mom was the living Mary Poppins. <laughs> she was the most encouraging, loving person, yet she took no shit. Yeah. And I learned that from her. If there were toxic people, friends, brought people who brought her energy level down, she got rid, you know, but yet she was the most loving, encouraging person. My dad, funny. My dad was funny. He was a big kid at heart. And I love it because I love playing pranks. My best friend, Krista, who I talked about earlier, does yeah. not love that part of me because <laughs> um, she was always the one who got the, the short end of the stick on that one. <laughs> So I love pranks and my dad would do anything for anyone, almost to a fault, but he just, he had a real heart for single moms um, because his mom was a single mom. His dad left when he was five and there was five children and they were poor. I mean, beyond poor. So whenever he saw a need, especially with single moms struggling, my dad was Santa Claus before he morphed into Santa. Now, let me explain. (laughs) My dad, as a kid, I remember my brother and my mom and I loading bags of Christmas presents and dropping them off at people's doorsteps in the dark. No one knew that we had done that. No one knew that that was my dad. 
And when he would buy a Christmas tree, he'd buy six or seven and he'd go deliver them to the single moms who couldn't afford it. And when I shared that story at my dad's service, one of the guys who's now an adult, obviously came up and said, I had no idea. Larry was the one who did that. <laughs> wow. And I was like, yeah, it was, it goes, I should have known. And then as my dad got older, he literally turned into Santa Claus, white beard. He used to play Santa. <laughs> He used to go to foster homes. He, I mean, he was Santa Claus. So I had Santa as a dad and Mary Poppins as, as a mom. mom. That sounds like an incredible upbringing. Right? <laughs> so And so much, so much learning there for you in terms of giving back and helping others from your dad and your mom. Like, that's huge. Yeah. They, they didn't just talk the talk. You know, yeah. They walked it. I saw it. My brother and I saw it. What's one lesson your job has taught you that you think everyone should learn at some point in their life? Not to judge people, prejudge. We are all going through stuff that others don't know about. And I'm constantly being reminded that we all have shit. We all have stuff we're dealing with. And so to have more empathy in this world would be amazing. It truly would. What do you see, Lisa, as your greatest accomplishment? My daughters. They daily astound me when you talk about resilience, losing their grandparents. And then when we lost Jack, like there was just nothing that can compare to that. And watching yeah. them rebuild and their strength is something to behold. I'm so proud of them. Well, that comes down from their mother and from your parents. So there you go. If you could sit down and have a one-hour conversation with anyone in the world, any woman in the world, alive or dead, who would it be and why? My mom. I would want to sit with my mom and listen more than I did, especially as a teenager. <laughs> you know, I always knew this as an adult after I had children. I was like, this woman knows far more than she's saying. She might come across as flighty and in denial and like head in the clouds, but man, she was grounded and she knew things. So I would love, obviously, to sit down again with my mom, but the power and strength that the, my mom had that I don't know that we fully recognized until she was gone and her wisdom, it was, I mean incredible. And I just want to sit with her, obviously, and this time listen without rolling my eyes. Yeah. Well, I think that's something very common among kids. I mean, you said your daughters did it, do it. We did it as kids. It's like, yeah, yeah, whatever. What do you know? Totally. Meanwhile, when we, when we get into adulthood, we realize, oh shit, they know so, so much that we had no idea about, and uh, that's something that we, I think all kids, as they step into adulthood, look back and learn, oh, shit, I should have listened to my parents. They really did know what the fuck they were talking about. I know, but it's more about, like, uh, they knew nothing. What's that saying? They knew nothing when I was a teenager, and then, oh, my God, as I got it, they, they learned so much when I <laughs> yeah. became an adult. Yeah, they learned They learned so much in that span of, yeah, exactly. what, what from, from 13 to, to 18, they learned so <laughs> so much like they learned a lifetime what school what school did they <laughs> yeah. go to it's true oh my goodness that you know that is one thing if i could tell my girls that you know and have them listen that we do know more than you give us credit for <laughs> yep we really do Yes. And we're not doing this just to get on your ass and to be a pain in the ass, but we're doing this because we know, because we've been through similar situations. We can't say we've been through that because every situation is different, but we do have a bit of knowledge behind us for sure. hundred percent. And the thing is, my girls are now 28 and 29. And so my oldest daughter's like, Yoda, I need some advice. <laughs> so I can tell you, Brad, it switches at some point. I, I went to the it. same school my parents went to and learned <laughs> something in between that time. Well, my girls are 21 and 23. So ah. there's still a bit of a ways to go yet because they're still <laughs> going through those early 20 stages. You know, yes. they still yes. think they know it all. And yeah, 
They'll come around, I'm sure. For sure. Lisa, if you could go back and give your younger self one piece of advice, what would that piece of advice be? Do you know, I think I would tell myself to not worry so much. How many times we spend our lives worrying about things that, one, hasn't happened yet, yeah. or two, worrying ourselves into a frenzy and realizing at the end of it, oh, that wasn't that bad. Like, we, I got out of it. I survived that. I think worry can kill and destroy joy and can wreak a lot of havoc and stress. And I had, I think, insomnia for about 24 years. And so that did a number on me. So I would definitely tell myself to just calm the hell down. <laughs> well, let's be I mean, it doesn't do any good. It doesn't solve. You worrying isn't going to fix the problem. It's only going to compound it. Totally. But it's hard when you're in it to not worry about it and stress. And so that's where the mindfulness has to come in. And, you know, you have to be aware. A hundred percent. Lastly, Lisa, if you were to deliver your last 30 second speech to the world, like your corner of the world, your tribe, your people, what would that last 30 seconds sound like? What words of wisdom would you impart? Can I think I would just tell people not to worry about things that haven't happened yet, to not to spend their time investing in things that don't matter, you know, invest in yourself. One, you are the most important person. And without you investing in yourself and whatever that looks like for you, you're no good to anybody else. So prioritize yourself, your self-care and honestly, empathy, learn empathy, be empathetic and compassionate towards humans. If we had more of that, I wonder what would be less in this world. So Spend your time, money, and energy on things that actually matter to you and follow your passion and your purpose. Like stop and be a detective in your own life. Figure out what you want and go after it like your life depends on it. Because honestly, I feel like it does. Beautifully said. A great way to end the interview. Be a detective in your own life. I love that. That's wonderful. Mm. Lisa, thank you so much for taking the time to be here today and share a bit about your story and your journey. I have learned a hell of a lot in this conversation. So thank you. And I'm so incredibly grateful to have had this time spent with you and to learn more about you. And I'm honored to have you as a member of the Empowerography community. So just thank you for being you. Thank you for all of the amazing, beautiful work you do. And Thank you just for being you, Lisa. I appreciate you. Thank you so much, Brad. It's been a pleasure. Once again, my name is Brad Walsh, host of your Empowerography podcast. Today, my guest has been Lisa Haycock. She is the owner and founder of Holistic Life Coaching with Lisa Marie. She's also an author and a speaker. Thanks again, Lisa. I hope you have an amazing rest of the day. You too. Thank you very much for listening to this podcast. If you haven't yet, please be sure to subscribe, rate, review, and share with all your friends. You can find me at visuphoria.ca, follow me on Instagram at Empowerography Podcast, and on Facebook at Empowerography. Please join me next time for another inspirational story from yet another amazing woman.